Cinema Jaws is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. Listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location at Cards Against Humanity in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is Ride the Movie Guy, and sitting inside the fish tank is none other than Phil Me and Phil. How's it going, guys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt. Well, we should just tell the Jawheads to pull out a box of Kleenex there, just in case. Yeah. It could get sad as we cover our top five favorite goodbye scenes in movie history. I got to tell you, honestly, as I was doing the research, rewatched a few of these scenes, and yeah, I cried. Yes. For real, I did. They are usually the uh, the emotional moment in a movie. You get a good goodbye scene, and uh, you, you can hear some sniffles in the audience. Goodbyes are hard, man. You know? Definitely. It's emotionally uh, weighty. I don't know what took us so long to come up with this uh, topic. you think we would have crossed it. Well, right. I think we were waiting for the perfect movie to come along that we could tie it in with. (laughs) And we did just that. Uh, Also joining us this week, Matt, to help us with that top five, a returning guest. Yes. Returning guest, though, new listeners may not know because it's been a long time, but uh, the triumphant return of Jim Terry back on the show. Yes. Jim is uh, a comic book artist. Yeah. And he was on Cinema Jaw. We're going to throw this in the fish tank right away. I want to say two times. Oh, no, man. More Three? like four, I think. And these were in the very early times of Cinema Jaw. Year one. Year one. Yeah. And then he disappeared. Yeah. Sporadically, he, he was in and out, but it's been a long time. Well, and now we've seen Jim every once in a while at, at the different comic cons, and uh, he's expressed uh, to Matt get me back on the show. Matt uh, does the bookings. And somehow, some way, we just never got Jim Terry back on until today. I purposely blacklisted him. He's off the blacklist, Ryan. That's good. That's good. He bribed me. What the Jawheads can expect, because Jim, outside of being, you know, an amazing artist, also has what I believe to be a photographic memory. So when he watches these movies and he talks about the scenes, I'm so jealous because... I can't remember the movies as well as Jim does. And, and you'll get a sense of that, I bet, when he goes over his top five. To be completely honest, uh, he outclasses the both of us mm. as far as movie knowledge and most of the film critics I know from the major organization. <laughs> that's not an exaggeration. Maybe that's why we haven't had him back on. It could be. <laughs> going to be good to talk to Jim. Uh, besides that, we have even more going on, don't we, Phil? Yeah, it's that time of the month. We're going eye for an eye on our boy Quentin Tarantino's new movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And we have reviews of The Farewell. See, there's the tie-in, Ryan. Nice. Yeah. Plus, since we are going eye for an eye on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which has an amazingly large cast, Mm. we will be playing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood cast movie trivia. That's great, man. Sound hey, good? Hey, are you speaking of comic book artists, uh, are you following all the news coming out of Hall H from San Diego, Comic-Con? Oh, Comic-Con. Yeah, Comic-Con. 
You know, not, Hall not H, right? Not too much. Not too much. That's where all the big movie announcements take place. At least it the depends. pop culture movies. It depends what the movie is. I haven't seen anything out there that has Ugh. sparked my interest well, thus far. Big news on the new Terminator movie dropped today, and it lit up the internet. I don't know how big it can be. Nobody's uh, even anticipating this movie at all, man. I said Hall H is on fire. People were clamoring. <laughs> Come on. No, man, for real. Please. You're they, telling me, you're sitting there and you're telling me you're not excited for the new Terminator not film. Not at all. Not at all. I think I, it's going to be. This is a series that needs to be put to bed, It's going to be a huge tent pole. It's oh, going to be a big, on. big smash. Are you serious? I'm serious. Oh, they got to terminate the series. You know what? Cinema, Cinema War. War. Ooh. <laughs> You're going down, Matt Kay. No, I am not. Yeah. That was my Arnie. Yeah. My Arnie might be going down. We'll see. I think Jim's going to side with me on this one. Yeah, well, time will tell. Ah, oh, man. It is going to be a fun jaw. It may be a sad jaw. Not even joking, we have Kleenex in the studio with us. Is that box of Kleenex always here, or is it just here for our goodbye special? I brought it out special for this episode, mm-hmm. right? I thought we might need it. Well, we'll see if we do. Uh, before we bring in Jim, it is Quentin Tarantino month, and that means Phil's got a fact. Yes, today's Cinema Jaw Quentin Tarantino fact is in regards to his film Kill Bill. Quentin Tarantino was leaving Japan after the initial location scouting for Kill Bill when he heard the all-girl band The 5678s playing over a store's speakers. He was so intrigued by the music that he'd asked the clerk in the store who the band was. When he was told, Tarantino, who didn't have enough time to go to a different music shop and get a CD, begged the clerk to sell him the store's copy. Quentin then took the disc home, listened to it, and immediately signed the band to play during the showdown at the House of Blue Leaves segment. All of the band's songs, including the standout Woo Hoo, are covers of early 60s surfer songs. Wow. Pretty cool. I didn't know that. No, I love uh, that band in the the movie as well. Oh, they're fantastic. Huge moment. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You would imagine, though, if you're Quentin Tarantino and you walk into a record store, they would just give you the CD, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This but is it, the Wild Wild It East? sounds like he's not at a record store. He's at like a store that has the music playing overhead. Oh, I see. Okay. And then he asks them for the CD. Got it. So, Got it. Pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. The Good. rest is history. Good fact. Yes. All right, Matt. Without further ado, we bring in our guest. As you mentioned, Jim Terry has appeared on Cinema Jaw numerous times in the very early days of Jaw. He's a comic book artist based here in Chicago. You may see him at comic cons all around the country. Jim Terry, welcome back to Cinema Jaw. Hey, how's it going? How you been, man? Pretty good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. So what's I been cracking? I sound so different. Do you? When I hear myself speak this way. Yeah. I think you have a great voice, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Yes. And a great laugh, too. Hopefully we'll get that authentic Jim Terry laugh throughout the episode. Probably, you know, if I make yeah, fun of you enough. I don't know. Or if you make fun of me enough. We'll see. <laughs> so, Jim, you've been uh, at this, uh, this racket of drawing comic books for a, quite a long time. I mean, your art, uh, when, when you created the website, how long ago now, that it's been Jim Terry art? Oh, um, well, the original website is woundedbutdangerous.com. I created the Jim Terry comics one so I could share the new fantasy book that I've been working on in my free time. So if you go to Wounded But Dangerous, there is a link to Jim Terry comics, and that there you can read for free the first 50 pages of this book that I've been working on off and on. So you're, you're pretty prolific. I mean, you've done a lot of projects. Um, let's talk about a few of the ones uh, in the past and what's coming up and what you're working on today. Of, okay. all, of all the projects you've done, uh, I hate to say which is the one you're most proud of, but what's one that stands out that you think people should know more about? Mm, probably Bleakest. Get out of here. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a collab we did that 
went nowhere because of me, not Jim. That was probably 12 years ago. It was a long time ago, dude. Yeah. Um, well, I, I worked on The Crow, Skinning the Wolves. That was the first project I did, and uh, that was the first professional project I did. And since then, I've worked on uh, uh, a lot of stuff with Tim Seeley, doing um, Sundowners, a, a creator-owned one that we did, um, Alice Cooper versus Chaos. I've drawn Vampirella. Um, right now, we're doing The Crow versus Hack Slash, which uh, issue number one dropped a week or two ago. That's Awesome. By the way, is, is uh, James O'Barra involved at all, or is, is he uh, just giving his blessing? And he saying, just gave his blessing and okay. said, don't embarrass me, and <laughs> we are proceeding to embarrass him. Yeah. Good for you, man. It's hard to embarrass that man. Yeah. <laughs> it's been through a lot, for sure. Yeah. Now, the, the fantasy book that's on the website. Yeah, Edgebright and Leofwin. Edgebright yeah. and what, how do you say it? Eofwin? Leofwin. Leofwin. Yeah. Now, you wrote this from the understanding when I looked on the website. This was two characters that you, you came across years ago, and now you've returned to sort of tell more about their story? Yeah, um, I want to say, geez, about 10 years ago, I was working on a crime comic called uh, Lie Down Low, and I did six issues of it, and it completely burned me out. It was I was so tired of drawing urban, decrepit alleyways and motel rooms that uh, I just wanted to do. I wanted to draw nature, and I wanted to draw trees, and and so I did this one little one-shot, twenty-page action fantasy story called The Cave, and I ended up liking the characters and. A couple of years later, I did a story about where they first met up as children. And then it's just kind of, I got to be honest, living in that universe and seeing these characters react better to bad situations than I would have has been a comfort to me in these times. Seeing, seeing them face adversity and watching them almost on their own do better than I can. Mm -hmm. and, and it's been good for me. That's cool to hear you say. It's almost like the characters sort of tell you the story in a way they act better than i like the the things that leofwin does and says in these stories i don't know where it comes from and you're writing it and i'm writing it so ostensibly it comes from your head but you're surprised by what yeah, appears on I, the page i don't know i've 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 had moments where i've i've been sketching and she does something and i'm like oh my god so you you and tim she's so much cooler than me <laughs> yeah. you and tim Seeley are sort of um rarer creatures in the comic book world that you both write and draw. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing um, a story, uh, do, you, do you write out your script first, or do you just start drawing the page and, and let the, the story evolve from the art? Well, I'll be honest. I've never written for anybody else, so I don't know how I, I would do that. But for myself, I, I do it visually and simultaneously. So I, I draw out the, the action of what's happening like what's going to happen? Yeah, I okay. do the action of what's happening, and then I, I put the dialogue in there. I have a idea, and of course, one propels the other. But as far as what I put down first, it's always art, and then put the words on afterwards. And are you still mostly using um, physical medium, or do you get digital sometimes? I had to get digital. Well, yeah, I mean that's cool. Yeah. No, I fought it tooth and nail. I know you did. <laughs> I fought it tooth and nail, and and uh, with this crow book, I am. I'm penciling, inking, and coloring it. Fully and digital? And there's no way I could do it otherwise. Yeah, so I, I have to do, well. Saves time? Yeah, yeah. It's a huge time saver for me because I'm at, I'm at a point where I can do very loose pencils and then ink over that. 
And then as far as coloring, there's no way I could have colored it at home on my computer with a mouse, which is how I was doing it. Oh, my goodness. So I had to get an iPad, and, and I've been coloring it inside Let's get that. the iPad Pro with the pencil. Yeah, yeah. So and that's actually so much, professional it, level, huh? I think so. I mean, it's been published now. You know, nobody's complained too much. <laughs> now, cool. one of the things that I, I like, uh, we see over at C2E2, which is the uh, Comic-Con here in Chicago, and you do commissions where people come up to you, and they can ask you at that point for really to draw anything, right? Yeah. Has there ever been something that someone's came to you? Oh, yeah. And asked for you to draw that oh, you've refused? Tell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Give us a couple examples. At well, least one. you know what? Usually it's salacious material. Batman in his underwear kind of thing? E, sure, that's like the, <laughs> the tip that's of the iceberg. PG-13 version. You know, usually I'm not really a cheesecake guy. Right. I'm not a guy who draws a lot of scantily clad people one way or the other. It's just not as interesting to me, you know, so I get a lot of requests for things. Not so often, but once in a while I'll get a weird request like that, and I'll be like, eh, there's other people here who are way more interested in doing that than I am. So. But, but what about if it was just a character that you feel that you wouldn't do it maybe justice, you know, like your style of art? Do you, do you sometimes refuse there, or do you think yeah, that's because yeah. the person wants to see well, my I take mean, on the Well, I mean, people that come to my table, they know what I do. Mm -hmm. And if they want me to do SpongeBob, they're going to get a creepy-looking SpongeBob. <laughs> a damn, <laughs> damn cool-looking SpongeBob, though. Now, now I know what I'm asking Jim Terry to draw yeah. next uh, C2E2. Yeah, uh, SpongeBob soaked in blood. Yeah. Yeah, well, he is a sponge. Exactly. Right if up. I remember correctly, you like to listen to some film scores a lot of times when you draw. I do, yeah. What is uh, playing regularly now in uh, Jim Terry's uh, studio? You know, I've been getting into a lot of the giallo stuff, uh, the Italian, the Italian horror slasher type mysteries. Uh, Ennio Morricone, um, Goblin, a lot of Goblin, um, a lot of horror tracks nowadays. I just bought Phantasm. And the, the movie been, or the soundtrack? The soundtrack. Okay. Yeah, I've I've had the movie for years, but uh, yeah, this a lot of soundtracks, a lot of horror soundtracks, some some Australian stuff that I've never heard of, and and you know Mondo's putting out all this great stuff now, and sometimes I just you know I'm like you know what I'm gonna take a chance on this, and it's usually. I'm usually pleasantly yeah. surprised. Yeah. Does it inspire some way? Like the art, you hear the music, and it sort of somewhat maybe starts to. At times, in yeah. Ways, in yeah. At times, when it I was sets writing, the tone for you. Yeah, when I was writing, I mean, sometimes this stuff is too identifiable. You know, I put in, I put it on shuffle. I have, you know, I have a many, many scores and on my computer, and then I'll put that on shuffle, and then Indiana Jones will start playing, and I'm like, ah. I gotta wait till this is over because right. all, all I'm seeing is him, you know, running Swing around. It from a whip, yeah. yeah. Next thing you know, you're drawing short round. Did exactly, you? short round, of course. <laughs> Did you happen to catch uh, John Carpenter's albums that he released a couple oh, years yeah, ago? Yeah, I've got those. Those are yeah. pretty good. Man. I saw him in concert a couple times. Oh, you did? Yeah. Congrats, dude. I wanted to go so bad. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Any, cons, around, do it. any cons coming up that you're going to uh, soon? Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's if you'll have it up in time for this Saturday, but I'm going to be doing a very small one at the International School of Comics here in Chicago. And that's on Chicago and oh geez, I want to say like California. It's on it's on my information on my website or on the on my uh, social medias. But I'm doing that. A lot of local comic artists are going to be there: Mike Norton, Hillary Barta, a bunch of fun people. Um, but next weekend. The 27th, mm -hmm. weekend of the 27th, I'm going to be in Denver 
for the Indigenous Comic-Con, the fourth annual Indigenous Comic-Con. Cool. And uh, it's mostly native talent, and uh, I don't know, I guess they thought I qualify. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to the last two, and those were in Albuquerque, and they're branching out, and this one's in Denver. So I've never been to Denver, and I don't know what it's going to be like, but these shows are really, really inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yes. Denver's a cool city. I've been there. It's nice. I've only passed through. Never stayed there for any time. Uh, for the jawheads that want to maybe buy your work, you do sell uh, online, correct? Uh, yeah, I haven't been very good at, about keeping up with that lately, just with the deadlines and such. But yeah, uh, I, I do stuff on, I have a uh, big cartel, and you could find that link on my website, Wounded But Dangerous. And we'll put it in the show notes, too. Okay, Make cool. it easy for peeps. Yeah. yeah. And what about your Instagram and Twitter? Are you on there as well? Yeah. Instagram, I'm JimTerry73, I think. Yeah. And Twitter, I don't really use Twitter that mm. much. but It's kind of going downhill. It's all about it's, the Instagram. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, Instagram is worth it. It's too much negative vibes for me. I, I yeah. feel you. We'll put the links uh, to Jim's social in the show notes as well. Awesome. Uh, Jim, sitting in on this entire job, we like to end these guest interviews with <gasps> a silly cinema cue, usually tied in with the theme of the month. Phil, do you got something for Jim? Yeah, Jim. So like Ryan said, uh, we're kind of tied into Quentin Tarantino month. Uh, as we all know, uh, Quentin famously likes to appear in his own movies and small little cameos. Uh, usually, they're not very good. Out of every Quentin cameo, which one would you say is the best, and which one would you say is the worst? Do they have to be his own film? No, mm. they could be any. It does have to no, be his own No, I would film? say oh. any. Dusk Till Dawn I'd I say, would put on there, yeah. Yeah, I'd say his best is Dusk Till Dawn. Uh, what, Richie? Richie? Mm-hmm. He was, uh, uh, Rodriguez know, knew how to shoot him. I'd say his best short cameo, my favorite, was probably Desperado, his little joke in there. His worst, Destiny Turns on the Radio. Oh, have not even, seen it. Don't and I don't think one. that was qualifies as a cameo. That might be like a accredited role uh-huh. in that movie. <laughs> and he was doing his Elvis thing. It was it was rough. But of course I it was when, when I worshipped everything he did, so mm-hmm. I had to check it out and yeah, I still and then I was do. like, well, uh, <laughs> he's, he's just having fun, you know? <laughs> Had to apologize for him. Yeah. Mm. All right. Jim, sitting in on this entire jaw. This is going to be a, a good episode, Matt. I'm ready. I'm ready. I got the Kleenex uh, right next to us. Here we go. Uh, brings us to Eye for an Eye. Phil, let's get this thing rolling. Yes, this week on Eye for an Eye, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. A faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. The film stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Dakota Fanning, Luke Perry, and Bruce Dern. It is written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, the man of the month. Rye, we throw it over to you. Come on, of course, I'm interested. This is probably the most anticipated movie I have for the year, to be honest. Uh, this was my number one, one. Not Avengers Endgame? Yeah, come on. This was uh, my number one film uh, of my summer movie preview. Uh-huh. And, I mean, maybe Star Wars at the mm-hmm. end of the year I'm, I'm would maybe mark it above. But besides that, really, I've had this one circled from the time I heard that he was making it that I, I, I want to check this one out. Very, very interested. Matt? I, I don't know how anyone could possibly not be interested, right? Just ring the bell. It's Quentin Tarantino. We're all going to see this as soon as we can. Well, you never know. Jim Terry's a wild card. Jim, where do you fall? I'm in 100%. His movies are always interesting. 
And, uh, you know, some of them might be just a hair too long. But this is going to be a blast. There's going to be so many inside jokes and, and references for us movie geeks. It's going to be just fun just to spot all that stuff. Yes. A lot of, yeah. lot of uh, movie geek fan service from Tarantino. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can't. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yes. Phil, four for four? Absolutely. It's hard not to. I mean, we, we are celebrating the man the whole month. Uh, one thing that I'm surprised that they didn't put in the, the little the little blurb blurb about yeah. it, yeah, uh, is how they're not mentioning Manson at all. Right. That, that, that is the backdrop of yeah. the Manson murder. Sharon mm-hmm. Tate is Margot Robbie, or, right. or vice versa, rather. Yeah. And I feel like like bloody messes are one of Quentin's specialties, if not his best one. I agree. And I think a very interesting fan theory, let's call it, was dropped by Jeff York an episode ago. Um, which you know what? Go back and listen to that. But it, I, I don't even know if we. That was on yeah, air. that was not on air, Matt. Oh, did we that cut that? No, not cut. It was just before we started the podcast. Oh, I don't even do know if we have it recorded. Tape? I'll be yeah. honest. I don't know. Just tell us. Hey, yeah. should, I, should I tell us? Yeah, go ahead. No, well, his. It's you, not that big. You could probably draw a conclusion here. This is a fan theory. I have no data on this, but Jeff York's theory was that. Uh, the Manson murder is going to be rewritten by Tarantino, like he did in yeah, Inglorious like Bastards. Right. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're t- the DiCaprio and Pitt characters are actually going to stop the Manson family murders. Well, I mean, people have been doing that for forever. Have you ever they? read the? Yeah, you ever read the uh, James Elroy's L.A. Quintet? Never. L.A. Confidential, Black Dahlia. I've I mean, seen the he solves the Black Dahlia murder in that. I mean, it's fictional history. Right. You know? Well, the thing is um, that Tarantino, having done that with Inglorious Bastards, I don't know if he's going to dip from the same, the same exact thing. Well, again, yeah. he, he doesn't strike me as the guy that's like, yep, this is what I'm going to do is change history again and do it the way he did in Inglorious Bastards. Well, I guess, I guess we'll find out next week. It's an I'm interesting excited. theory, nonetheless. Yes. Four interested for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We'll have a review at some point. Can't wait. Yes. Stoked. Speaking of new movies, Matt. Yes. Relatively unknown director Lulu Wang has a lot of buzz coming out of Sundance with her family film, The Farewell. With people singing the praises of it both as a universal comedy and as a pivotal entry for Asian representation, but is it any good? Ryan and I hopped on a plane to Changchun to find out. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. When that is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. We have to go to China. Wedding is an excuse so everyone can see her. He's my only cousin. Don't you think I should be there? You can't hide your emotions. If you go, then we'll find out right away. Really? Here's the setup in case you haven't heard of The Farewell. Aquafina plays Billy, a struggling college grad in New York just at the outset of her career. She maintains a frequent and loving phone relationship with her grandmother, Nai Nai, played by Zhao Chuzhen, who lives in China. One day, the family discovers that Nai Nai has been diagnosed with cancer and only has three months to live. So they collectively decide to keep this truth from her and stage a fake wedding instead so they can all be together in her final days. Ryan, perhaps what is most important about this movie is that it does feel like a minor watershed moment for Asian representation in American cinema. 
True, last year's Crazy Rich Asians may have helped pave the way, but given that this is a quiet, funny indie film with most of the dialogue in Mandarin, it seemed not just unlikely to hit the screen, but damn near impossible. It was a fight for director Lulu Wang to keep her original vision. I applaud that because the film is fantastic. Aquafina is another unlikely choice in the lead of what is a rather complex emotionally role. Billy and the rest of her family are hiding their grief, and she pulls off the subtle subterfuge convincingly. But what must be truly highlighted here is the fantastic breakout performance of Zhao Chuzhen as Nai Nai. The screen lights up with her presence, and I was delighted every time she's on the screen. Most of the best laughs belong firmly to her. There are some deep emotional beats in the film, but this is no tearjerker. It's light, familiar, and universal in its tone completely relatable, which may have been the root cause of its success so far. If I have to levy one criticism, it's just that I'm not a big fan of a feature-length joke, and this is a prime example of one. The entire movie is leading up to the final moment that is so punchliney you can almost hear the rim shot. A bit of a groan for me, but the setup and delivery are done with such an honest grace and sentiment that I largely forgive it. In fact, I completely forgive it, but I did groan, Rye. So perhaps it's not a farewell, but a see you later come Oscar time for the Ooh, farewell. Ooh, nice. I like the ending of that, Matt. Thanks. Yeah, obviously I mentioned last week while we did Eye for an Eye that I was a huge fan of this, having seen it at the Chicago Critics Festival. Right. And I was able to uh, sit down next to Matt and see it a second time. And it is. It's very funny, and it's a universal story about family. It doesn't matter yeah. if they're speaking Mandarin or English. We all get the point. We have all have... Uh, you know, aging. It's, it's a human story. Yes, we right. have aging uh, people in our family. That could be your, your parents. It could be your grandparents, aunts, uncles, and so forth. Right. So it's something I think that's very relatable. And I think what works so well in this movie is the characters. They feel so authentic and real. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't feel like they're written just for the screen. It no. really feels like the camera is following along this family's journey to you know try to celebrate their grandmother's life while keeping it a secret of her illness right and and that's the thing i'm, I'm trying to highlight even though yes it is sort of a setup punchline kind of thing uh the the path is so authentic like you said it's just it, it does i forgive it for for being sort of a, a joke and yes funny but i you're saying not a tearjerker it's definitely has its moments of uh, heavy emotion yeah for me it did no, it's but it's not heavy. Did you feel like you you were crying? Yeah, I could feel I could feel a little of the uh, you know the waterworks. Yeah, crying? a little bit of like water coming down the cheek near Softy. near the end of the movie. Oh, very soft for this movie. I mean, there is there is a, a bit. Uh, yeah, there are some heavy beats. And Aquafina, who we've seen do sort of comedy and light work, uh, her drama work here, where she needs to be a little bit more serious, works. I'm I'm all in. She nailed it. So, and you're right. You said this, the Nai Nai actress, uh, one more time with Zhao your name. Zhao Chuzhen. Since you're saying it so eloquently. Oh, thank you. You're saying a breakout role. We should rephrase that. Well, she has probably 200 and some credits under her name. It's just breakout to us here in America. Well, that is what a breakout is, Ryan. It's to a new audience. She's breaking audience. through. Just wanted, but, and it's also worth mentioning, it may not be a breakout because she's, you know, in her mid-70s already, so... You know, do I think she's going to get a lot of work in Hollywood? Maybe not. But what I'm trying to say is this role is absolutely noteworthy and what, worth checking out big time. I, I agree. Uh, breaking it down a little bit further, you got a uh, highlight uh, that you want to mention? Yeah. Oh, uh, absolutely. So there's there's a couple. The 
the scene where they're doing, I, I think, some sort of martial art. I want to say Tai Chi, but I don't know exactly which one it is. And she's just going, ha! Ho! Yes. Ha. This is the grandmother, Nai Nai. Yes, Nai Nai, right. Uh, her daily exercise was just a tender moment. I liked it. But I think the Reservoir dog shot, do you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? When the whole family is walking down the street toward the camera in that slow motion, very familiar shot we all know, uh, the way they're all laid out. And it, they take enough time with it that you can kind of examine each character. And it's funny and it's real. And I just enjoyed that shot. Yeah, a couple of highlights here for me is obviously this uh, fake wedding that is going on yeah, in, into some sense is, is just hilarious. And they, they play like a game uh, going around the table that the, the camera is, is just moving game. very fast. And it's a drinking game. And they're, it's just awesome. Both times I saw it, it was roaring through the audience. Um, but I really liked a couple of uh, interesting dialogue uh, moments where oh. there was a great scene where they were sort of explaining why and what America meant to um this particular family because mm-hmm. what, what the you have here east and west differences yeah, yeah because what you have here is uh aquafina's uh family moved to america the brother uh, of right. this family her uncle uh left china and moved to japan and they're just talking about the differences between america the east the west there's a couple of really interesting takes That's, on it and some of her family stayed remained in, in, in remained china. in china right i i really enjoyed that I and did then too. Yeah, and then also the yeah the difference between east and west when we're looking at, at maybe one's life um, was I don't know. Is this actually a, opening a door for me? I is guess. this a real? It's pre- presented in the film that this is an actual cultural um, phenomenon that that uh, oh they do this yes. Did you do the research? Yeah, well, uh, not just the research. Uh, Lulu Wang was in attendance at the Chicago Critics. And so she talked about how this is common practice. And other people started getting up in the audience and saying, yes, this happened to me also. And this came up numerous times just in the Music Box Theater where people said, yeah, my uncle passed away. No one told us. Or it was my grandpa or so on and so forth. So it does happen. Interesting. For sure. And then one other highlight, the way they handle language in the movie. Because, uh, yes, you say it's mainly in Mandarin, probably maybe 70%, you sure. would say. Yeah. But I love that they can bounce back to English. It, it seemed so, again, authentic, like very realistic, the way people, if they speak English and they want to say something that uh, someone who doesn't speak English, uh, they don't want them to understand. I love the way they bounced it back so naturally. Felt very real. Yeah, there's a sort of uh, Americanization of Aquafina's character where she's uh, like almost like a a Spanglish sort of, you know, thing mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. Any issues? You know, yeah, a little bit. Uh, and it's the punchline. I just don't like the fact that the whole movie's building up to this one beat that we kind of see coming. And if anybody's yeah. listened to the This American and, Life... And I, I honestly think it's because you listen to This American Life. I watched it the first time not having known it and had no clue. I don't, I don't, don't, I wouldn't ruin even, it. I'm not going to yeah. ruin it, And no. I wouldn't even sum it up that it's, it's a punchline movie. I, I think you're coming at that because you knew where this movie was going. Maybe. Not at all for me, and, and I don't think most would ever think that at all. I think, I think anybody who's a seasoned moviegoer will kind of see it coming from about halfway through the movie. I don't think so. Um, For me, the only issue I had was there's this great uh, dialogue scene where they talk about Aquafina being able to play a piano in a church. And again, it comes back to like they're they're explaining. What didn't you like? I love the dialogue Uh scene, right? But then later, she just breaks out in this uh, amazing song on the piano. Yeah. And I I didn't like that scene because I don't know exactly what Lulu Wang was trying to say with that moment. Oh, it's about a lack of confidence. I don't think so. Absolutely. I don't think she knew what she was trying to say there. 
you know, I have to watch it a second time. What what sort of fellowship is she going for in the beginning of the movie? I don't know either. Okay, because was it about musician? I think writing. Music? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Uh, influences? This was tough, but I, I ultimately went with Garden State. I don't know why. It had maybe the same color palette and sort of the same tone as far as the comedy. It's very light, breezy, um, also has a bit of the same emotional depth. That's kind of the best I could do. And I maybe maybe is this is a stretch, but culturally, Black Panther, as far as the significance of inclusion and representation. Well, I got nothing. Too much. There. Too much. Jim is laughing at Jim's me. Jim's laughing. I went too with, much. I went with my big fat Greek wedding, which was a wedding with a with a different, uh, you know, take. Are you laughing at Rye now or still laughing at me? I'm still laughing at you. Why? Because <laughs> you got a shoehorned Marvel movie in there. <laughs> and then also... Yeah, I think it fits. Another influence was uh, on Golden Pond, where you have like uh, you know a younger character hanging out with his grandparents. And, uh, Matt emotional. has never seen on Golden Pond. I have never seen no, on Golden great Pond. Great one. I knew it. Did you learn anything here, Matt? <laughs> that they have Divi in China. <laughs> Who knew? I mean, and I was genuinely for, surprised. For, for the Jawheads not in Chicago, Divi is our, our bike, bike share, share. system. Yeah. Um, some people may be confused. They have a bike share system in China. I learned that uh, really the philosophy of the difference between East and West in that big speech where they talk about oneself belonging to the whole of the culture. Yeah. It really enjoyed that moment, and it actually made me reflect later in the night. I thought about it. Um, well, so that's you what can it, learn a little bit about it. Art is supposed to do, Ryan. It is. Well done. Uh, how about a movie poster quote? I'm going with the end of my uh, review there. You won't want to say goodbye to the farewell. Hmm. What do you I got, w- Ryan? I went with. It's unimpressed, I yeah, can tell. Yeah. No matter the language, goodbyes are never easy. That's a good one, too. Yeah, it, I always one up you here. Hey, how do you not put your quote in your review though? All right. right. How many how many jaws here, Matt? Four jaws. All right, three and a half for me. Three and a half. There's really not much that you can detract from the movie. I, I am a little sour about the whole punchline thing, but you're right. It, it doesn't matter as much as the getting there. It's the right. journey, Ryan, not the destination. Yes, the farewell is opening up everywhere. Please check it out. Once you see it and you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet at <coughs> CinemaJaw, or you can email us feedback at CinemaJaw.com. Let us know what you thought. Perfect transition, Matt, into our top five goodbye scenes. Yeah, let's see how many Marvel movies I can shoehorn onto this list. <laughs> oh, Get that shoehorn ready. If there is even one on there, I'm, I'm calling <laughs> One? Bunk. I think I got four. Jesus. Jim, we like to start with the guest and we like to oh. ask, uh, was it a difficult list to come up with or rather easy for you? You know, or fun? I, I think what, it was, it take? I, I don't know if I wanted to do cool goodbyes or tear jerky goodbyes. And, I thought uh, you were going to go cool goodbyes. I went, I went mostly cool goodbyes. Yeah, yeah. That's your style, man. Am I supposed to do one now? Yeah. Go at number five. What you got? Okay. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Jack Burton's goodbye. It's a good one. I'm trying to remember. Aren't you gonna kiss her goodbye? He says no. And he walks away. (laughs) She goes, maybe I'll see you around, Jack. He says, you never can tell. He walks up. He's just it's, such a cool dude. It's just the lamest, dumbest <laughs> thing. And, of course, that character would do something like that. There's no reason for it. And it is hilarious. And he completely owns it like it's the coolest thing anybody could do. He thinks it's, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's, uh, it's, I, it makes me laugh every time I see it. Do you think, do you think uh, Jack Burton is better than Snake Plissken? Come on. 
That's Sophie's choice. Mm. Hey, man. The, the sad thing is when you realize that you are more like Jack Burton than <laughs> Snake Plissken. Aren't, aren't, aren't we all, though, man? <laughs> all right, that, that swings it over to me. At number five, I have uh, a movie that explains something to me, Ryan. I know now why you cry, mm. but it is wow. something I, knew I could it. never I do. I knew it. Wow. Heavy. Yeah. I mean, uh, Eddie Furlong spent a long time sort of developing this bond with a machine that was closer to a father than anything he'd ever had before. And ultimately, this machine knows that he has to make a self-sacrifice in order for Eddie to be healthy in the future, for, for this kid to live. And he lowers himself into this vat of, you know, burning metal and gives the thumbs up. I remember seeing this movie and, and really, really emotionally moved. I, I think... <laughs> Of course. I, I, I was like, a, you know. I think young, I'm older than both of you guys. Yeah, I was, Not see, by much, dude. Come on. Are you I trying was, to sit there and say I you were moved? I was a young punk going to see this action movie, not thinking that it was going to have any emotional weight at the end of the movie. And all of a sudden, you get this Terminator scene that, that really, I had tears in my eyes. Wow. I'm shocked that I'm getting the approval of Ryan the Movie oh, Guy, but yeah. not Jim. I would have thought this was a Jim I'm pick. a Terminator 1 guy. I oh. think that really is a Shame generational. You, it's a generational separator. I like them both. I think you I'm can a like them both. Too, you can like them both, but you can only love one. Mm. Both. That is not true. No, no, it's absolutely true. It is absolutely Ask true. Ask anybody. I love two. Terminator two all the way. And I love one. Mm. What are we I love do them both. Here? I love what both. I'm sorry. I refuse to choose. It's a Much generational like you separator. And Pliskin <laughs> and, and Jack Burton. I refuse to choose. <laughs> all right. Swings it over to my number five. I do want to say I went all. Very sad goodbyes. No, no Joe Cool, Jim Terry goodbyes at all. These are these are sad. My number five came out in 2014. Mm-hmm. Outstanding movie by Richard Linklater. I'm speaking of Boyhood, and the goodbye knew, scene I, here. I knew you would have this man. Is between um, Mason, uh, who is played by Eller <laughs> Coltrane, who is leaving for college, and his mom, played by Patricia Arquette, and it's just. Such a heavy scene here because it's it's a goodbye, but you, you think it would be maybe be Coltrane who would be sad, but it never is because the kid going to college is is just excited and got all this going on, and it's the mom that realizes this this changing point in her life. What it, what did all this mean? How did we get here? You know, and I remember quick story. I remember when I went away to school, I didn't have that big a moment with my family, but I remember my my best friend. Very same situation where it was uh, a divorced, his parents were divorced, uh-huh. and he was with his mom. And I remember um, him telling me one time how he, they went down to school, and it just took them both by surprise that they just both started bawling at this moment. I think it is a moment, a very emotional moment between a parent and a child as you're, you're sending them off to college. I'm going to be ordering a pizza and stripping down to my skivvies, man. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> were you a fan of boyhood, Jim? I appreciated it. Hmm. Yeah. It's definitely a, an ambitious project, for sure. All right. I like Linklater. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Into our fours we go. I like Drinking Buddies. It's a good movie. What do you got there, Jim? Uh, number four, I'm going to go with a tiny bit of a stretch. It's not really a farewell. Oh, here we go. But, hey, it's hard when you're trying to think of cool ones and not like the absolutely <laughs> generic ones that everybody is thinking of. I'm going with Fury Road. Which Max, part? Max simply disappears into the crowd. 
That's a terrible one. He does not. He does not ask for a thank you. He does not wait around for accolades. He doesn't even wait around to be accepted into this new, this new society that he helped forge. He just disappears into the crowd. That is a total Joe Cool sort of move. That is the Joe Coolest. You, you're you're a big fan of this, like uh, masculine, where like riding into the sunset sort of thing. Well, you know, I mean. I have a good look. I have me. a really good feeling, Matt, that, that Jim's not going to say bye to us at the end of the night. Probably not. We're going to be like, Jim, you want to take a picture for where the hell did that guy go? He's just riding away there in the <laughs> sunset. Jim, Jim, are you coming back? Never can tell. <laughs> just walk away. I love it. Good stuff. Hey, hey, no, but at that moment, Max has returned to who he was. Yeah, it's, it's a resolution for the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we going to get another Mad Max movie? I don't know. Maybe not a George Miller one. Yeah, mm. maybe not. That would be a shame. It don't would. do it then. Yeah, I agree with you guys. All right. Uh, swings it to me. At number four, um, nobody knew before this movie came out how much one could care for a piece of sports gear. But lo and behold, Tom Hanks taught us oh, that a volleyball can carry such emotional heft that when it sadly floats away into the ocean, you feel as though... An actual living thing has been lost and are moved to tears at somebody losing their ball. And such is the case in Castaway with the ball Wilson. Wilson! I mean, he's on this raft crying at a ball. And you guys cannot tell me the the first time you watched Castaway, you were not like really choked up over him losing his ball. Hugely, hugely. This was on my list. The first time I watched Castaway, I had sat in a bar before going in there and I had to pee so bad that you didn't care I didn't care and then it just kept going oh come on and then you he's, he's like in the suburbs and I'm like just end <laughs> boy this Jimmy has no heart for I for, have no heart oh my god hey, I, and Wilson didn't even say goodbye he just floated away <laughs> what a jerk <laughs> stupid ball no I tell you what this was on my list higher in, yeah higher and I, <laughs> I, I, I I'm right with you Matt and I didn't expect it I think those goodbyes when you're not expecting it to be emotional are the ones that catch me like oh my god I, I'm crying over a damn volleyball but floating away in the water I think that's the the talent of Tom Hanks to and the director to to make us care so much for an inanimate object just just fantastic talent all right, my number four, another one that I guess sort of sucker punched me as I, I'm talking about it now, was a, a movie I didn't know was going to have this emotional weight at the end. In my opinion, and we'll see where everybody falls on this, one of the greatest movies of all time. Wow. Okay. All right. 2004's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Can't argue with that, really. I love Jim, this movie. Jim, you look skeptical. I love this movie. And... <laughs> Tear it a new one, Jim. Somebody has no. to. All right. Let me just tell you the ending okay. scene. Let Do me tell. describe it sure. to you. Have you seen the oh, movie? Should you Be alert with people yes. that there okay. are spoilers ahead? Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. people okay. it's, it's it's got an idea well, with the so good okay. it's, it's over a decade old at this okay. point. Okay. So, so obviously in this movie, uh, the idea being that Joel, played by Jim Carrey, is getting his memory erased of his ex, which is played by Kate Winslet. And the obviously it's going in like basically a, a reverse chronological order. So everything recent is getting erased. But where it really starts to get sad is those final moments of when the movie. When they were falling in love. When they were falling in love. Right. And it just gets sadder and sadder. And you get to this point 
where it's the first day that they met. They went to a beach. They went into a random beach house. And uh, the, the way that it, the imagery of this movie, the house is starting to break and fall apart as the memory is disappearing. And I rewatched the scene it, it, coming in. I'm not even kidding you. I cried in my living room about an hour ago when I watched the scene. He, I love the dialogue between them because there, there is that, that excitement of them remembering what was going on. And then, you know, she says, you know, I told you to go, but I didn't really mean it. And he's like, yeah, but I was so scared. You know, I, I didn't know what to do. I was like a scared boy. And I think we've all had that feeling. He just left, you know, and he goes and he does it again. And, and she says, this is it. And he's like, I, I know. But what really gets me is right after that I scene. I get moved just hearing you describe it, dude. Right after that scene. I'm having scene, some kind of a movement. <laughs> Uh, they get they get into a car uh, afterwards, and it's it's Joel's two friends who are driving, uh-huh. and they're driving away from the house. And now all the memories are going really fast as they're being erased. And they they turn and they're like, "Hey, Joel, we saw you talking to a girl. Who was that?" And he's like, "Just a girl." And it just crushes you. It really crushes you. Yeah. I, I think at the end of that movie, there there was literally a pool of water around my theater seat. Water. Kind of, kind of like Jim when he went to see Castaway. It's way you know that what? I, that movie actually, honestly, deserves a rewatch for me. Oh, it's it's incredible. Yeah. It's in my top ten of all time. That's Jim's sure. way of saying he doesn't like the movie. Hmm. No, I enjoyed it. It's just not one I ever revisited. I think the whole Michelle Gondry thing kind of. After a while, I what was it? Uh, the, the other movies he, had a he couple. did. Yeah, I was like, uh, I don't know. Well, they uh, but never maybe came I need to together as it. good as Eternal Sunshine for yeah. sure. Yeah. So. Mm, that is my number four. Into our threes, Jim. You got something here with a little emotion and Nacho Cool. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna flip this on you and turn it on its head, and say goodbye to the machismo. Well, maybe not completely. I'm gonna go with Makushala. Great oh, one, Jim. Wow, and it's not on yeah. my list. Million Dollar Baby. Great one. That um, is a fantastic one. That that is a movie I've seen it three times. And all three times, I was a slobbering mess at the end of it. <laughs> to the point where it's like, why don't I just, you know, just hit myself in the face with a hammer? <laughs> because I know what I'm in for mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. But the journey is so well done. And it's almost like a, an emotional enema. You know, you get, you get at the end of it. That's just, a movie poster quote. You're just drained, and you can't believe how gut-punched you are. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know why I, there's a part of me that wants to watch it and it and feel that tremendous emotion. It's the emotion junkie in me. But uh, uh, no, nothing, I, it, it's rare that a movie has consistently hit me that hard. And something about the orchestration of that film... At the end of it, I believed everything that was happening, and I was completely invested. Absolutely. I mean, I can't argue with a single, no argument s- there. single syllable. I, I, I remember, too, that one scene in the theater, and just, yeah, just it felt like, oh, my God, somebody punched me, and I, I'm not going to be able to move for a little while because I'm, I'm just so stricken by emotion here. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of thinking of it now in the back of my mind, and it's, it's, it's affecting me for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's a big one. Good one, man. And I thought my number three was going to be sort of a gut punch, but you beat me, son of a bitch. Um, Are you satisfied with your care? The ending of a movie, it's an animated movie, that should have been a fun superhero romp, bright and colorful. Looked like, by all accounts, we were going to get just some Disney crap for kids. Like, ah, this might be kind of fun because it's got some superhero action, but Big Hero 6 
at Baymax at the end. Do you remember this, Rye? Slightly. I did see the movie. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll make it short. They, they have to go through a portal to another dimension to save somebody's daughter who was stranded, and Baymax uh, gets injured, and he's got one last rocket to fire to get the boy back to safety, Hero. Mm. And uh, he can't deactivate until Hero says he's satisfied with his care. So he kind of needs his permission to, to die, to, to be let go by Hero. And he doesn't want to because, like, he's bonded with Baymax. He just lost his brother. It's kind of a more emotional film than it should be, you know? <laughs> but it is. And, and that scene, this is the one that I rewatched today and was moved to tears. It's heavy. Baymax is just so huggable and lovable. You, you just love this character. And then he, he has to go. Mm. Sad. It's a tearjerker for sure. And the fact that Hero has to tell him, I'm satisfied with my care, it's painful. Oh. I've only seen the movie one time. I remember liking it. It's no, I've never remember, seen it. Remember it you so never much. saw it? Mm. No. I, think I, I mean, you have kids and you go see everything. That's you know? why I saw it, but I'm so <laughs> glad I did. And I think it is, uh, it's a high functioning kid movie. Yeah. No, I, I remember seeing it and thinking I, I'd probably enjoy it, but I never did get around to it. One to put on your list, I think. My number three, in all honesty, was Castaway. So here's where I, I put in my, my first substitute. And I might as well go with another Tom Hanks movie. Okay. Since is it I'm, another animated since Tom I'm, Hanks movie? Erasing Castaway, I figured I'll sub it in with the ending of Big. Oh, and not where I thought you were going to go. This no. is where, obviously, um, Josh, uh, the character's name, who had wished to be Big, is in, in Tom Hanks' form. And, obviously, he is going to change back to the kid. And it's that moment there. Um, I forget the actress's name. Do you, do you know, Jim, who played alongside the, the love interest there? If not, we'll throw it in the fish tank. Is it uh, Elizabeth Perkins? I was going to say Annie Perkins, so I think that's right. And so their, their chemistry is really great throughout the movie. <laughs> and then you have this very sad goodbye, and I think the moment that is probably the most touching is when she looks back and sees him a, in the boy form with his clothes all sort of big. Baggy. And baggy, right. and he sort of turns back and, and looks. I, I love that moment at the end of Big. I think it's a little creepy, to be honest with you, because like the moment before, the beat before that... She was making out with him. And then he walks away and turns into a 13-year-old boy. <laughs> it's creepy. Wow. That's, that's like the Back to the Future thing. Some people can look at it and think it's, it's creepy. It but is creepy. It's not. It's a fun yeah. romp. It's a fun romp. No, no, no. I'm not saying the movie's creepy. The movie Big is fantastic. I love it. The whole scene in FAO Schwartz on the keyboard. It's a great, great movie. But that <clears throat> moment sort of brings to light the implications of their relationship. Mm. And they can be a little creepy. Yeah. All right, that is my number three big. Into our twos we go, Jim. Okay, I'm going to do a very rando one here oh that, that probably nobody here has seen. But I was for hoping no, for, for no reason. I was hoping for five for, of these. For no good reason have you not seen this. It's For Whom the Bell Tolls. I have not seen it. I'm familiar with the Metallica song. Yeah. It's, it's great. No, it, it was an Ernest Hemingway novel that they made into a film starring Gary Cooper and Ingrid Bergman. And it has to deal with the uh, the fight against fascism in Spain right before World War II. Just and, like the Metallica song. And in it, Gary Cooper is an American expatriate who's helping these folks. And spoiler alert, at the end, he has he realizes he's going to die in order, but he's telling her to continue, not just not just to escape and to get away, but to keep living. And he says. I am in. I am you, and you are me. And he keeps repeating it, 
And there's something about the earnest way that he keeps saying it because he repeats it to her and she's weeping and sobbing. And he's he's just saying it matter of factly and sincerely that when I saw it, it broke me. Something in me broke. And I was like, oh, my God, this is this is a real thing right here. Hmm. And uh, I highly recommend it. I mean, it's probably aged in the way that old movies age, you know, but that I was not expecting. I'm not the biggest Gary Cooper fan. I always think he's a little stiff, but his earnestness in that moment just shattered me. Hmm. It shattered me, and it's not hurt by her and her emoting, you know, and I've, I, if, you, if you're into that kind of thing, I was I was broken at the end of that, and I, I just sat there and stared at the credits, and then and then just you know just absorbed it for a while. I'm writing this one down. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've heard of the movie. I just yeah, never saw it. Well, I figured. Yeah, but worth a spin. <laughs> An emotional pick from Jim. What do you got sitting there too? Uh, another emotional pick, but this is one that I guarantee even Phil has seen. Um, probably anybody. Well, maybe not Phil, but just about everybody else. I'll be right here. The final moments of E.T. Oh, of course. Yeah. This is classic. Jim is wagging his head. This he hates classic. this pick. No, I just knew it. Re- I mean, of <laughs> yeah. course. It's There's a couple that I, that yeah. I knew Listen, were going to be on this is, here. This is a classic. This is Spielberg. There's a reason he is lauded. Right. Uh, and E.T. is probably one of the biggest tent poles in the Steven Spielberg circus. Would you disagree with that? Yeah, it's definitely a tent pole. It's a tent pole. <laughs> and with a big neck. Look. I, I think that that goodbye is It's a is Carlo strong. Rimbaldi neck tent pole. It's, it's it's not for whom the bell tolls, Jim, but uh damn it, when I was a kid, hey, I saw that and I oh. was like, "Why is ET leaving, man?" I saw I that movie. Stay. I saw that movie at least 3 or 4 times when it came out, sure. and I bawled every time, you know. Did you mm. play the Atari game too? No. It's one of the worst video games of all time. Did you yeah. read about the games that were found in the desert? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, a, there's <laughs> a documentary about it. Yeah. It's hilarious. Oh, okay. Um, no, I agree with you, Matt. Thank uh, you. Great pick. No, it's, it's, it's fun. It's really you a can great... T- you, can, you can make fun of it. It's a great movie for me when I was a kid. Mm. I haven't watched it really since. My number two, all honesty here, was Terminator 2. You took it way early at number five. I, 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 I cried on that one. So I might as well substitute one in. And I go with another link ladder. Boy, this guy is a master of goodbye scenes, right? I had him at number five at Boyhood. And e- probably even better, uh, rewatch the scene today as well, is uh, way back in the first movie in the Before series, Before, Sun- Before Sunrise, you have Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. And it's, it's the classic goodbye scene that we all think of when we're, we're talking goodbyes, right? Got this young American kid, goes over to Europe, uh, all future ahead of him, isn't going to fall in love kind of guy. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. Uh, They have this wonderful night where they just talk deeply. It's probably the first time both of them have opened up to another individual this close and and talked about so many, you know, deep thoughts that they've each had. And it really connects. And, of course, it comes time where she's got to get on her train to leave. And so it happens at a train station. And what hit me about this, the movie came out in 1995, so we're just a few years before the internet, but the dialogue and the whole situation of the movie is dependent on that because they're talking about how, well, how am I ever going to see you again or talk to you again, you know, and they come up with this plan of, 
in six months, let's meet back at this train station kind of deal. That's the yeah, plan. Right. But just Facebook message. Yeah. What the hell? Right. So, you know, 10 years later, it's like, yeah, just message me. Well, what? You know, we'll be friends on Instagram. But um, <laughs> of course, she gets on the train. It's just such a emotional moment. And the series as a whole is spectacular. You're and a big fan of this. Series. I love it. I love it. And watching it again here, I was like, God damn, maybe this is my favorite before. I think any one of those movies that I watch is my favorite of the series after I get done watching it. They're all that good. <clears throat> you think he's going to make another one and just call it after? I think there will be another one. They'd be foolish at this point. They've made three every 10 years, so let's keep going with it. Why not? Before retirement. You like this movie, <laughs> Jim? Go. I do. I enjoyed all of them. All yeah. of them are great, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, Everybody Wants Some, which is an underrated one of his, I think. I agree. Probably yeah. underrated. All right. Here we are. Is this the number one? Our yes, number sir. one We're picks at number on one? Cinema Jaw. Okay. Jim, I hope you saved something special here. You know, I had a couple, and I thought you guys were going to use up a couple of them. But uh, I'm going to go with a personal one that really affected me, and it's Apocalypto. And I don't know, have wow. you guys seen I've, it? I've just rewatched it. Mel Gibson, within, right? yeah. Within yeah. six months, I just yeah. rewatched it. And it's, you know, it's, it's set during the, uh, the Mayan Empire and, and the, the crumbling of it. And, uh, and it's a visceral, mean, ugly movie. But it also has moments of incredible beauty. Mm -hmm. And one of them, uh, a, a tribe gets attacked and, and, they, and the, all of the adults are ta either killed or taken prisoner. And there's a scene where they're, they're being marched away from their home. And all the children who have been left behind are following along on the opposite bank of the river and keeping, trying to keep pace with them. And they look, and there's all these little tiny toddler kids. And one girl who is, I don't know, probably 10, she yells across to her parents, I will take care of them. I will, I will watch over them. Dude, you're affecting me just talking about it. And it is such a beautiful beautiful survival moment this kid is gonna raise these mm -hmm. you know and i've seen it in my own life to a different degree you know but just having to take responsibility when something awful happens and this kid does it with with just a, an absolute resolution and it it just it shattered me when I saw it in the theater. I was like, I don't know what kind of emotions it brought up because it brought up many. Mm. But that is probably the most profound goodbye moment for me. It's great. a great one. Next time Jim's on the show, can I go after him, please? <laughs> or before him? So I don't have to follow the act? What I was going to say was with Apocalypto, I had bought a new TV for a screening room. And that was, I thought, man, I want to really see you know, Apocalypto and the, all the colors because, you know, these screens now, they do really good, like, darks and mm. blacks are, are really good. And I thought, this is really good because there's some night stuff and going on. And I watched it, and it, you're right. There's moments in there that I, in my memory, I thought, well, this is sort of a gruesome chase movie. But no, there, there are moments of uh, just overwhelming, like, humanity and family feels in there that's, yeah. it's, a, it's a great, great movie. No yeah. arguments, guys. <clears throat> All right, uh, that brings it to my number one. This is a film that has been called one of the greatest movies of all time. I mean, it's up there with 
Citizen Kane. It is a absolute. Um, you know where he's going here. <clears throat> yeah. Do you? Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a tentpole of of cinema. Uh, these he two, loves that tentpole. Did you I guys say tentpole again? Tentpoles. It is a pillar. <laughs> love it. Hey man, I'm just I'm going camping this weekend. I'm thinking about tentpoles a lot. Um, pillar, Jim. How's that? Better? Hey, it works too. All right. It's it's the end of a movie that that it's it's a pretty epically long movie too. So to get to this ending, you, you've done some work, but it, it's also probably the most famous line of dialogue of all time. And it's frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Rhett Butler, Scarlett O'Hara, gone. That's with not the where I thought you were going, but you thought yeah, you were really. going to go Casablanca. I thought you were going Casablanca. Oh, that's another. Yeah. I mean, that's a great one, also. In, in fact, that entire description I gave fits Casablanca as well, <laughs> except for the epically long. long. Right. And then I was like, oh, he's yeah. going Gone with the Wind. Casablanca, yeah. shockingly, is only like an hour and forty minutes or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah, much shorter than Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Sure. It's more of a. It's more. It's not quite a tent pole. It's. Yeah. What is Would you it? say it's more of a, a column. <laughs> yeah, maybe a column. A support beam. <laughs> A girder. Yeah. It's more of a girder. All right, Ryan. I guess you, you get the honors this week. Hey, yes. can I tell can I tell a hilarious to me might not be funny to you guys, but I, I I will always think of that quote as watching uh Wheel of Fortune with my grandparents. And it was clearly, frankly, dear, I don't give a and then it was like D A <laughs> empty spot N. And this this old lady this sweet old lady was like i'd like to solve the puzzle frankly dear i don't give a darn oh no she couldn't bring herself to say it and pat sajak's like uh let's see i'm sorry we can't give it to you and then it goes to this like obnoxious college kid he's like frankly dear i don't give a damn <laughs> and they're like all right you're the winner <laughs> oh boy that is fantastic ah I'll never forget that. I love a good Pat Sajak story. All right. Who doesn't? Yeah. Leaves it for my number one. Did you know that Patrick Sajak, Pat Sajak is a guy who replaced the Robin Williams character in Good Morning Vietnam? Wait, what? Say that again. What do you, you know mean? that that movie is based on a, on a, a real story? story. Yeah. When he gets fired, Pat Sajak, real life Pat Sajak, is a guy who replaced him as a DJ. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and this suddenly I don't like him anymore. Yeah. <laughs> He didn't do anything to you. All right. Hey, my number one pick. You could have given it to that old lady, Jim. I mean, come on. She just didn't want to swear. I know. He should have given it to her. Here's a movie, what I remember. This one came out in 2003. And this was like right before, you know, obviously we weren't doing uh, Cinema Jaw at the time. And I wasn't probably following movies along nearly as much. So what I remember so vividly about this was I went to the landmark cinema up on diversity mm-hmm. went and saw i forget the movie that i had saw here but i had saw a preview for this movie and i was like oh my god i gotta see this and it was coming out the next week i had never heard of the movie i saw a preview and i was like i'm gonna go see it next week turns out we're celebrating like my grandma's birthday out in the suburbs and we're out there late i come rushing back into the city to see this particular movie and and it's sold out but they got one last screening left and they're like there's only a few tickets left for it Get, get tickets and I go over to the borders that used to be over there just to kill some time and finally come back and see this movie. Theater's packed and it's an audience that's with every beat of the movie. So that's why the ending of this movie just worked so perfectly in this circumstance sure, that I was sure. in. And I think the director here, 
Sofia Coppola wanted that exact beats of the movie to get you to this point. I'm speaking of Sofia Coppola's masterpiece, Lost in Translation. And it's a, it's a very touching uh, relationship that Bob Harris has with Charlotte. Bob Harris being played by Bill Murray and Charlotte being played by Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. And it builds to this ending scene where Bob Harris is going to leave and he, he is, doesn't get to say goodbye to Charlotte. And he leaves the hotel and he tells the driver to go down this certain street as he's looking for her. And this song starts to play. And as he, he looks on down the street, he sees her. And he gets out of the car, Phil, oh, right on got, cue with the music. Got a musical cue. And he just goes over to her. And, and, it, and I remember in, in, the, in the theater, leaning forward. I'm not even joking. Like I think the whole audience felt like they were leaning forward to hear what he was going to say. It had that kind of anticipation. And when the whisper came to her ear, I remember, I'm not even joking about this, I could feel like a tear going down my eye, like, that's beautiful. Like, I didn't want to know what, I didn't want to know what he was saying. That's their moment, they earned that. And it was just perfect for me. I love Lost in Translation. That's how I feel. Jim, can you back me on this at all? It's good. Ah, I knew he was gonna say that. (laughs) It's also a creepy relationship though, right? You know, I, I, it, that's another movie that I watched and I enjoyed it, but never have mm. gone to revisit it. Yeah. Can it's, I ask, it's a great one. Can I ask one question, especially of Jim here, as a storyteller, as a writer, do you think that that beat was earned or do you think it's kind of lazy? To, you know, it's like, I, I don't know what he's going to say to her at the end, so I'll just have her whisper in her ear and no, maybe I'll come, I, I'll circle honestly, back around to that. I think that. Even if Sofia Coppola couldn't think of something, Bill Murray could have thought of something. Right. That was they intentional, it. It and was I think totally that it was. I think it was perfectly good for, for that. It, just as I described it, it, like that's why I set that story up, Matt, was to, to let you know that. I mean, literally, you could feel like it, it was like, yeah, it just felt so perfect in that moment. All right, I like the movie too. I, and I've come across people that have watched it at home, and they're like, "That was so dumb, you couldn't hear." What, I was like, "Man, if you only had that <laughs> moment where you were in a theater with like 400 people and everybody felt the same, like, yes, let them just have this moment themselves. It, it totally worked." So I love the movie, too. Any honorable mentions before we go to break? I got a couple. I got a couple. I got a couple. All right. Well, I'll start off with probably the best movie that we're going to talk about all day, uh, Titanic. When, oh, Jesus. Um, Rose Scott, has to talk about shoehorning. <laughs> I just did that for Jim's amusement because I knew Jim was, oh, Jim, get back here. All right. So I knew that uh, um, Jim and you guys weren't going to like He's, this. You said you're doing it for his Jack. amusement, but you actually think that. Oh, it was very list. sad. Goodbye, Jack. Um, all right, I'm going to step it up here a little bit more. Dances with Wolves, when uh, he has to leave the, the, the tribe and uh, Wind in My Hair starts yelling at um, D- Dances with Wolves that he's his friend. God, that thing gets me every single time. I love that moment in the movie. Um, and then I'll leave you with one last one. Red Dawn, the original Red Dawn, when they go to the what? concentration camp that the father is in. Oh, Harry and, Dean Stanton, right? And, <laughs> and and the dad starts describing, you know, you remember I used to take you to that park? You were so damn little. And they're like, and Patrick Swayze is like, I remember, I remember all of it. <laughs> it, it got me. Suddenly Patrick Swayze sounds like George W. Bush. All right. right, whatever. Those were my honorables. What do you got? That's good. Uh, all right. So this one isn't necessarily a goodbye, but uh, Brooks was here from Shawshank. Uh, 
I thought it was it was a very poignant way to go out. Uh, and speaking of ones, I, I didn't put this on my list also because it's not necessarily a like a goodbye, but um, take her to the moon for me, okay? Are the last words spoken by Bing Bong right before he fades mm, away, mm. inside out. And I thought about putting that on the yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. But it's not expressly a goodbye, so I left it off, but worth mentioning. Uh, and then the Truman Show, in case I don't see a good night, good afternoon, or whatever mm-hmm. he says. But the way he leaves that movie is so cool. I honestly thought that might have been a Jim Terry pick, but mm. uh, he digs deeper, right? Jim, honorables? Um, I had some cool guy ones. I had uh, Han Solo. Oh, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Empire Strikes Back. Um, I had Gandalf saying, fly, you fools. Ooh. Because I got a shoehorn in some L-O-T-R love in there. And at least he got fly, you fools. Yeah, it's right. a famous yeah. Mandela effect. It used to be run, you fools. But anyway, go on. What? You no. don't, you're not familiar with this? Don't get into this whole argument no. now. We'll, we'll talk we'll, about we'll, it at the we'll break. We'll talk off the mics. Yeah. Matt's off his rocker. Okay, and I did have a sincere one, which was Platoon. When he's being flown up in the helicopter, and a uh, wait, what is what is which Quinn is he? Is Anthony Quinn's son? I think son. it's uh, Adrian. No, I'm no. Off. It's a weirder name than mm-hmm. that. It's not. Anyways, it's Throw it's it a, the fish tank. It's one of the last guys that survived from his platoon, and he's flying up, and he's giving him the salute with his rifle, and he's got to stay there, and he's and he's leaving, and he's giving him the the salute, and for some reason that always was like mixed emotions. Mm. It's mm, a good one, man. Like it. If we missed your favorite goodbye scene and you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet at CinemaJaw or write us an email, feedback at CinemaJaw.com. What we're going to do is take a quick break. When we come back, me and Matt are battling on a topic uh, in Cinema War that has to do with the new Terminator movie, plus some trivia, Jim versus Matt. Okay, hey, before the break, I also want to bring up a weird oh honorable my. mention. Oh, my. The Silence of the Hams. Has anybody seen this movie? No. You did say Hams. The Silence of the Hams. It, it came out during that whole spoof-heavy era, and it was a spoof of, you know, Silence of the Lambs, and it had Hitchcock thrown in there. Like the silent, scary movie era? Yeah, and okay. it is not a funny movie. It is trying to be funny, and it is not, but there is one goodbye scene in there that is so ridiculously stupid that if you're ever up late and Silence of the Hams comes on, Stick around for the goodbye scene, and then you could turn it off. Maybe we could find it on YouTube and jam it into the show notes here. <laughs> all right, stick with us, guys. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go In honor of Quentin Tarantino Month, a story from Ride the Movie Guy. The following story takes place before I was Ride the Movie Guy, before I was a cinephile, before I was familiar with many directors and such. The year was 1994. A friend of mine invited me and a few buddies over to watch a movie. It was a film his older sister recommended that was on VHS. We thought the title was weird, Reservoir Dogs. We sat, glued to the screen, watching the odd heist movie unfold. It finished, and we all remarked how different it was. We loved the dialogue, the violence, the way Mr. Orange's backstory popped up three quarters into the film the music, the fun camera angles. Well, a few months later, a friend said he was going to see something called Pulp Fiction, starring John Travolta. That sounded so strange to me. I think my mom is a fan of John Travolta, I remember saying. 
Soon, more people kept talking about this movie. Finally, a friend of mine insisted I go check out Pulp Fiction, which at this point had been out for a couple of months. We went to the LaGrange Theater on a Sunday night to check it out. The experience of seeing the film with a packed theater for the first time was monumental. Everything about it was cool. I was literally blown away. We walked out of the theater talking about our favorite parts and funny lines. At one point, my friend says, have you ever seen anything like it? I said, hell no. The only thing even somewhat similar as far as dialogue goes is this small movie I saw called Reservoir Dogs. We stopped at our local blockbuster on the way home to pick up a copy. When we started the VHS tape and I saw the name Quentin Tarantino pop up, my jaw dropped. I knew this was a name in cinema I would never forget. Now, 25 years later, here we are celebrating the man on my podcast. Unbelievable. Quentin, thanks for the cinematic memories and here's to having a few more. Cheers. Hey Jawheads, it's Matt Kay. Noticed we've had a lot of new listeners lately, thank you, and lots of people have been asking, hey, how can we help support the show? The best answer I can give you would be to check us out on Patreon, see all the things that you can unlock if you support the show, and at any level, at any level of support, you unlock our bonus content archive. We're adding to it all the time, extra reviews, extra interviews, sometimes just funny stories from us, things that just didn't fit into the normal podcast that we want to get out there and make special for our patrons. So if you're interested, check us out. It's at patreon.com backslash cinemajaw. Great way to support the show and get yourself some extra stuff. And thanks. And we are back on Cinema Jaw, hanging out <laughs> with Jim Terry, having a laugh during the break. Yeah. Always a good time. We're talking about shuffleboard and tent poles. I can't wait you to You were. T- well, I mean, yeah. I can't wait to tell you that uh, conspiracy theory once we get off the air. Oh, boy. Good, good times. That's a good one. Uh, Jim, for the Jawheads listening at home that now realize yes, just yes. how wise you are after listening to that top five right and they're like hey i want to go i want to see some of jim terry's art i want to buy some of his art i want to read his comics where would you guide them to online uh i would guide them to well i'm on instagram and that's sort of like a running place where i post most of my stuff but uh other than that it's more of a portfolio on woundedbutdangerous.com you can go to that do it jawheads yes do jim best movie you've seen so far this year putting you on the spot oh wow you didn't you weren't you i didn't, didn't even warn you i that. did not i did not warn you in yeah. the break at all 2019 what, what what was one of your favorites here in the theater in, oh yeah like a new movie good grief i don't i can't think of a There's single no one that, that has really blown me away wow did you see last black man in san francisco i haven't i want to though that's yeah. Top of my list right uh, now. In, in all fairness, I have not been to the theater as much as I'd like to because these deadlines are crushing me. So mm. I do, I had I had a bunch that I missed, and I'm just waiting to, for them to come to video now. Mm. But mostly, uh, it's it's like stuff where I feel obligated to go see it, like Endgame. You know, I have to see it before it's ruined, so I go see that. Mm-hmm. Well, but what'd you think? I enjoyed it. Yeah, I I I I think i preferred the first half 
I think I think mm-hmm. that's fair. I think actually yeah. that's common refrain there. Yeah. Um, but man, I can't I can't think of anything I saw in the theater where I was just knocked Blown out. Away. Yeah. yeah, not off the top of my head. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I'll come back to you though if something pops up. You do, uh, Matt. Before we get occurs. to <laughs> before we get to trivia and before we get to cinema, we threw a few items into the fish tank, and I know Phil wants to swim up to the top and not say goodbye to us. Let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment. It's Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's just a second message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. We're gonna need a bigger boat. Hey guys, uh, really great to be out this week. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna start off jumping right on into our questions. The first one was just uh, Jim's cinema jaw history and and uh, the last couple of times he's been on the show uh as far as i can count unless our website's out of date uh it is not which i didn't think it was there was only three this is his fourth fourth appearance yeah, on. that sounds uh, right that sounds okay right. Yeah. uh his first one was in 2010 nine ah, years the ago year we make contact wow yeah eons almost a decade ago he was on episode 24 he came back for episode wow. 64 uh the best westerns uh <clears throat> i'm assuming mm, the movies one. not the hotels mm-hmm. and then the last time the most recent time jim was on was 147 almost 300 ago it was six years ago april 15th 2013 we talked about non-superhero comic book films wow wow I guarantee all of those episodes are really worthy of a respin. <laughs> oh, there's no doubt. Jim knows his stuff. He Matt, does. why why have you not had me on? I know Ryan has wanted me back on. What did waiting, I do? I was to you? waiting for the check to, to clear, man. You know, you said, "Hey, man, please, here's this check," and you know, as soon as it's cleared, you're back. Okay. Back I guess joke. eight bucks is hard yeah. to cash. There's really no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no reason. Just you know, booking stuff. Okay. Okay. I'll stop giving you a hard time yeah. about it. You're back. <laughs> Anything else in the fish tank there? Oh, Phil? yeah, we got we got a couple more. Uh, what was the name of the, the female star in Big? Uh, Jim, you were 100% right. That was Elizabeth Perkins. Nice. And Nailed then it. our last one, who is uh, who, who play, who is Anthony's Quinn's son, and he played... Um, uh, uh, gee, he was in. Uh, who was in Platoon? Uh, it was Francesco Quinn. Ah, Francesco. Francesco. You were right, yeah, though, Jimmy. He Jamie, had a great a weird, voice, man. Uh, different, different name. Uh, yeah. yeah, unusual. Was that everything? Now that's everybody. All right, jump back in that fish tank. We'll do. Matt, it brings us to a segment called Cinema War. The war. It works like this. Me and Matt were fighting on a topic. Our guest, Jim Terry, is playing judge and jury. And Terminator. As he tells the Jawheads who he thinks won this cinema war. And it's important because we're fighting for jaw time to rant and rave on whatever we want. Phil, we're talking Terminator. What the hell are we going to war on? Yes, this week, Cinema Wars topic, Terminator Dark Fate, has been making some noise at the Comic-Con in San Diego. However, this series has struggled for several years now. It got us thinking, should this series continue or should we put a pin in this grenade? Matt... You're going to be fighting for, we need a Nazi Terminator film. And Ryan, you've got, this series needs to be terminated. Let this cinema war from the future, which is visiting the past, begin. First, I just want to compliment Phil on his Arnie impersonation. Okay, that's out of the way. I'll be back, Ryan. That's what he said. 
you you don't have to you don't have I'll be back as your catchphrase and not expect the man to be backed. There is so much creative life left in this property, and I'm glad they're doing another one before the principal actors age out. <laughs> I believe they've already aged out here, Matt. Uh Oh, my God. Linda Hamilton is back as Sarah Connor. Give me a break. I picture Linda Hamilton begging her agent to get her back into the spotlight. If it wasn't this, it probably would have been Dante's Peak 2 super eruption. Another Beauty and the Beast. You're so cynical. Hall H exploded at the news that James Cameron, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, and, wait for it, Edward Furlong is back on this project. Screw the bad entries. This is T3. How can you not be excited? All right. The Terminator series is a great example of what happens to a B-movie plot when it's examined and re-examined numerous times. John Connor sends his father back in time to impregnate his mother. They can't stop Judgment Day. Sarah Connor is dead. Now she's back. The T-800 ages somehow. The list goes on. Leave this series alone already. We don't know that he's the T-800. Can we talk about that I'm going hunting song? The movie may be worth it for that alone. Best score Oscar is not out of the realm of possibility here. I don't scoff, man. I'm scoffing. This may yet be the event film of the year outside of Marvel. It's amazing, Matt, to me how the Terminator technology advances at the same speed as Hollywood's special effects division. <laughs> I mean, if they are sending Terminators back in time from the same future year, why not start with the best thing you have at the time? Don't don't overthink it, Ryan. I mean, hey, let's not get back to the future here. It's been long established that you are not a fan of genre or fun. The moment you see Linda Hamilton with a bazooka, your fun alarm goes off and you don't like it. T2 was a groundbreaking masterpiece. Will it be hard to live up to? Yes, but I'm down to see them try. Who isn't? Mm. Look, Matt, Terminator 1 and 2, amazing sci-fi films that I love, but Hollywood and fanboys need to know when to leave a property alone. The original plot idea was not made to withstand six movies, two web series, and a television show spanning 35 years. There are plenty, plenty of creative ideas out there waiting to be made, so let's terminate this one and head to an unknown future of fun. We are button heads here, as we do when we go to Cinema War. We throw it to our guest, our jury. Jim, what did you think of this Cinema War? Wow, that was pretty intense. It was almost like experiencing five different actors playing John Connor. (laughs) Um. (laughs) But there was one that played it the best. I think we can all agree. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, I... You know, I I honestly agree with a lot of what both of you are saying. And I personally like the cast. I think it's awesome that that, uh, she's back. And I really like uh, the girl from Blade Runner, Mackenzie Davis. Mm -hmm. I really like her. I'm glad that she's in a big movie, but I'm done, man. Genesis broke my back. Genesis broke my back. You'll, you'll be there. Let's be honest. You're, I will see it. Of course. I, I saw that X-Men movie. I, I'll <laughs> I'm see sorry. it. At least I missed that one. Those, those, those two movies are very hand-in-hand hand with the sloppy continuity that you are. I dare you to try and figure it out. Mm-hmm. I dare you. I think they're going to do it. 
But I, I'm sensing a, a win for Ryan. I'll, I'll see it, but, you know, I, I'm not excited about it. When I saw the trailer, I was like, look at all the CGI. That's all I thought. But, but like, that yeah. song? I don't even remember the me song. Me neither. Oh, really? It's yeah. not like uh, everyone's talking, everybody's talking at me. Maybe it's just me, right. man. I love Midnight that Cowboy. song. Dude, it gets stuck in my head. It's mm. creepy. It's slow. Everybody's talking at me. Rewatch the trailer just for the song. Okay. So is that a win for me, Jim? That's a win for Ryan. Yes. Yes. This is why we have Jim Terry back yeah, on. to break your losing streak hey, on Cinema War. I'll switch it over to TV with my uh, rant and rave here. Uh, just got done watching Stranger Things Season 3. and No spoilers. I, I love this season. And I relate to, uh, I wanted to relate the Stranger Things series to the Matrix movies. If you'll recall, Matrix 1, great. Same with Stranger Things. And then Season 2 and Matrix 2 were both good enough where it could go either way for the series. And opposite direction as uh, the Matrix. They killed it in Season 3, Stranger Things. Now I'm so on board with the, the series. I thought it was the best television I've watched in a long time. Like fun, exciting. Matt kind of looks like Steve, doesn't he? <laughs> he does a little bit. If he was in a sailor suit which right one is, now. Which yeah. one is Steve? Yeah. He, he's working I've only at, seen season one. Oh, he's working at the uh, scoop and whatever it's called. <laughs> Scoops Ahoy. Yeah, Scoops like Ahoy. Yeah. Okay. Is he, is he handsome? I mean, he must be, right? Uh, he's like a doofus. He, he's, 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 he concentrates on man. his hair a lot. Yeah. But hey, yes. And I disagree with you on Matrix 3. What? If well, you, you watch, you if you like watch all oh, no. three of those Jim. together. Oh, no. You're, you're just destroying your credibility yeah. here. Yeah, oh, no, Jim. Hey, we, I'm we going, talked up a good game I'm, here. Hey, <laughs> let me tell you something. This is going against the grain, I understand. But if you watch all three together, three makes a lot of sense. Mm. You probably didn't even watch the, the second one before you saw three again. <laughs> Like, nah, I'm not mm. watching that. Yeah, maybe I'll sit back and watch them all. I don't want to go time. on a Matrix rant, but the two, the two set up so many interesting ideas that are not delivered upon in three. Like, the whole thing where everything's supernatural in our world is actually glitches in the Matrix or hacks, like the ghosts and the vampires and such. Yeah, but they already exploited that in two. Exploited? They go in a weird, no, different they, they direction. They present the idea, and then they don't explore it. I will say that part three is hard sci-fi, and if you're not into that, then you're not going to oh, enjoy dude, it. Oh, dude, I'm Vonnegut like you wouldn't believe. Uh, Philip K. Dick, love it. Dude, I'm a hard sci-fi fan. I just, okay, uh, yeah. okay. It, it, you, you got your temples. All right. All right. I'm going to get off this one. All right. Don't make a Philip K. Dick joke about <laughs> temples, please. <laughs> All right, we're playing some <laughs> trivia here, guys. In right. honor of the Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we're playing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood cast movie trivia. Large uh -oh. cast. Uh-oh. Large cast. Jim, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first. Let Matt go first. Uh, there are steals, and if you get hung up on any question, you get one trip into the fish tank for Phil Me and Phil. Oh, I have a bad feeling about this one. So I'll let Matt go first. All right. Question Subtle number Star, one. Subtle Star Wars reference there. Matt, uh -huh. Margot Robbie starred as an ice skater in this 2017 dramedy. Oh, man, I'm blanking out of the box. It was, um, the hell is the name of the movie? Margot Robbie starred as an ice skater in this 2017 dramedy. Yes. I, Tanya. <laughs> 
Man, I was really hoping you were going to ruin that one, Blake. <laughs> one to nothing. Wow. Matt K. Question two jumps over to Jim. Jim, Brad Pitt has played death. He did it in this 1998 film. Name it. Meet Joe Black. One to one. Get the easy questions out of the way. Question three over to Matt K. Matt, Leo DiCaprio starred in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. What actress starred as his Juliet in the film? Leo and who? Cher. <laughs> I was close, though, right? I'm that close. That is incorrect. Jim, you got a chance for a steal here. DiCaprio and who? It's Madonna, I think. In actually. Romeo and Juliet. It's Claire Danes, right? Big can you steal make it, there. Like, can you, when Jim's on, can you gear the trivia toward me so I wow. have a fighting chance? Come on. It's two to one, Jim. I've seen that movie one time. I yeah. saw it one time. It's common knowledge. That's an easy question. Is it? Yeah. Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. All right. It's two to one, Jim, and question four is over to him. Al Pacino has only starred in one movie with Sean Penn. It came out in 1993. Name the film. That almost made my goodbye list. Carlitos Way. You Three go ahead, Gail. Three to one, go, Jim. Go raise our child together. I love me some Pacino. <laughs> Question five over to Matt K. Matt Dakota Fanning starred in The Runaways. What actress starred as Joan Jett in the film? And it's not Cher? Oh, it's man. Three to one, Jim. You need this one. I know. Uh, what question number is this? Question five. I, mean, I know that I know the answer, and I can't think of it, so Dakota I'll go to, Fanning, the, I'll go to the fish tank. Into the fish tanks we go. Phil. It's making me nervous. You're making me nervous, Jim. Phil, who starred as Joan Jett in the movie The Runaways? All righty, Matt. Your clue this week was also in Adventureland and still Alice. <laughs> That clue didn't help him at all. No, it, they're it, geared it, to you. It's a Joan Jack question, Matt. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, is Kristen Stewart? Three to two. He pulls that one out. Unbelievable. It was like in a tailspin, but somehow pulled up. Question six over to Jim. Jim, Emil Hirsch has starred in only one film with Mark Wahlberg. It came out in two thousand and thirteen. And it was a war movie. Name it. Lone Survivor. I don't think, Jim, you don't miss a single war movie ever, <laughs> do you? War of the Roses? No, I saw that. <laughs> Four to two, Jim. Question seven over to Matt K. You need these last two somehow, okay, Matt. Okay, I can do this. I All can right. Do this. Kurt Russell played uh. Elvis. In a 1979 made-for-TV movie called Elvis. And then he played an Elvis impersonator in this heist movie that also starred Kevin Costner. Name the film. Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> that is incorrect. It takes place in Vegas, doesn't it? The ball game is over. Jim, what was the name of that Kurt Russell I might Kevin get the Costner number movie. wrong, but I I think it's 3,000 miles to Graceland. Was it 3,000 exactly? correct, yes, okay. 3,000 miles And you know Graceland. who directed that Elvis movie? Which, which Elvis? Elvis? The first the, one. The TV yeah. movie? Enlighten me. John Carpenter. No way. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Good stuff. It is 5-2, Jim. The game's over. Last question to Jim. 
Tarantino regular Michael Madsen has played a baseball player one time. What movie was it in? You do have a lifeline if you need it. Michael Madsen, Mr. Blonde, yeah, as you'll recall. Yeah. I didn't play a baseball player in a movie. Oh, there's there's two that I'm thinking of. Let me do the lifeline. Into the fish tank we go. Phil, what was that baseball movie that Michael Madsen starred in? All right, Jim, your clue this week. In the film, he played Bump Bailey, the teammate of Roy Hobbs. Is it Eight Men Out? <sighs> Phil, uh, Phil, Matt, you got to guess. You can get a steal here. Save some face. Bull Durham? Wait, is it Field of Dreams? What is it? The Natural. Roy Hobbs, <gasps> dude. How did we miss oh. that? He's in The Natural, yeah. If you'll recall, he's the one in The Natural. He runs through the outfield wall and kills himself, and that gets Roy Hobbs the ability to, <laughs> to go out onto the field and actually wanna, make, the, make the team. Do you want to get an example of <laughs> the ultimate transformation from novel to Hollywood film? Read The Natural, the Ooh. book. I would imagine is completely it, different. I will tell you. At, after the show is over, the final sentence of that book. All right. This is exciting. Um, Jawbreaker, in case it came down to a tie, would have been over to Jim Terry. Better filmography, Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> or Brad Pitt? That's a tough one, man. But I'm going to go with DiCaprio. I'd give that to him also. It's a tough one, though. It's a toss-up. Yeah. Get that World War Z movie. Real jawbreaker was this age of Al Pacino closest to. Matt, you got to guess? Oh, boy. I mean, like, are we talking plastic surgery years or actual years? He's got to be what? 75 years old. 75, lock and Might be older than that. I'm going 72. Give that one to Matt K. 79 what? for Al Pacino. Dude, he's 79. <laughs> 79. Oh, yeah. my goodness. <laughs> Think about his filmography and how far back it goes, dude. I mean, talking yeah, like... Yeah, but 79? Yes. We've been Getting doing Cinema there. Jaw for 10 years. Which is crazy. Ooh. That's crazy. Mm. Wow. Stop aging us here, Matt. Sorry. Ah. Brings us to the end of a great job. First and foremost, it? we got to thank our guest returning in all his glory, Jim Terry. Thanks for coming back on the job. Thanks for having me on this tent pole of a show. <laughs> and and I promise it will not be. How long was it? Six years. Unreal. We won't have to wait that long. Yes. Promise. Uh, but if if it's another six years, Al Pacino will be eighty-five years old. That's right. <laughs> We also got to thank our engineer, Phil Me and Phil. Oh, yeah. Thank you guys so much. Uh, as always, I'll plug my Twitch channel where I uh, illustrate and animate, P-Chan Art. Uh, this coming week after the podcast drops, I will also be doing some stuff I haven't done since I was in high school, which is doing some ROM, hacksing, ROM hacking and pixel art. So uh, check that out. Awesome. All right. Did you know any of like those it. words he just said? Don't had no clue. I, I, I know He's Twitch. He's going to be doing some Twitch. rom coming yeah. and Pixar Hey, art. I got Twitch out of it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Matt, we also got to thank our sponsors. Yes. Thanks to Overcast and the Chicago Podcast Co-op who help us get great sponsors like them. Yes. If you want to support Cinema Jaw, the easiest way to do so is by leaving us a review yeah. wherever you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. And while you're there, click subscribe. It's one extra button, and it really does help us out quite a bit. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay. And, and keep, keep on, on John about, about the, the movies. movies. Goodbye for now.